Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. I am actually going to be pointing you to another show that I had the great privilege of guesting on. Um, it's a great honor to be invited on as a guest of any podcast, and I often enjoy doing that, but I especially enjoy doing that when the hosts are modeling great care with the questions that they ask. So the questions that uh, the hosts of this show brought me, I know are going to resonate with listeners of this show. And I also think this show is going to touch on something else that I talk about a lot. And that's the power of school leaders hosting a podcast, of putting together a podcast for a school community. So you are about to hear an episode that I did for the Benjamin Franklin International School Podcast. Um, lots of great questions here from head of school, Rachel Huffington. So I hope you enjoy our conversation and then you tune in to the Benjamin Franklin International School Podcast for amazing upcoming episodes that they have uh, featuring one guest who I love following on social media. That's Cora Yang. Anybody who's passionate about the role that educational technology can play in transforming learning, you need to be following Cora. I know that episode is going to be solid gold. So without further ado, here is me guesting on the Benjamin Franklin International School podcast to follow that show and learn more about their project, please head over to the show notes. We aim to showcase our school's future-oriented vision for learning. In each episode, we're going to link up in thought partnership with our own students, our teachers, leading schools, movements, and educational leaders from around the world that inspire, invigorate, and inform our international school practice. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Future Is Now podcast. I'm Rachel Hovington, head of school at Benjamin Franklin International School in Barcelona, and I met our guest today while in Dusseldorf, collaborating at the Educational Collaborative for International Schools, or ECIS for short, leadership conference last year. I was privileged to be introduced to Trisha Friedman, the Director of Learning and Strategy at the Shifting Schools, by the wonderful Cam Chowan, who is the Executive Director of ECIS. Cam knows a thing or two about making connections and leveraging different networks of international educators to benefit young people. A simple introduction opened up new avenues of inspiration for me as I tuned into her unhinged collaborative podcast that she hosts with Kathleen Nagley, head of the International School of Helsinki. It is great to now have Trisha on our podcast today. She's the founder of Ally.org, the Be A Better Ally podcast and the unhinged collaboration where she is beyond just cracking the door open on education, in her words. She hosts conversations with lead thinkers and educators who inspire her to rethink classroom practice, the use of technology, classroom libraries, and policies that enhance belonging and lift learning. Trisha lives in Ottawa with her wife and their dog, who reminds her that every day deserves a really good walk. Trisha, it's nice to meet you, finally. Um, I've heard such a lot about you, um, and I have so many questions for you. I, I've listened to a few of uh, your podcasts, um, uh, the Unhinged podcast in particular. heard a, a great episode uh, this weekend, which was about AI and some of the, the conversations that crossed over with all the things we're thinking about in international schools right now in terms of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, relationships. It was such a super episode and um, I'm so glad to be talking to Zay. I think the first thing that I would love to ask you is how do we incorporate technology in schools in a way that makes our students more human or rather makes the most of their humanness? 
Well, first of all, thank you for the the generous words. I really appreciate that. Um, very, very kind of you to say so. Your question is a really important one. And I think it's a question that we can only answer if we're willing to have that real frank look in the mirror and recognize the ways in which schools disregard the humanity of students and educators, I would say. Um, you know, an example that springs to mind is the need for play, the need for joy. You know, why is it that all of a sudden at middle or high school, there are no more playgrounds? There is no more recess as though, um, you know, a young person's need to just hang off of a play structure or, you know, run around and just enjoy 10 to 15 minutes dissipates. Um, I, I don't think that's a reality you know, there's been a lot of research about early school start times. Why are we still doing that? Um, you know, why are we still doing standardized testing? So I think asking those questions about where are we ignoring the variability of uh, of our students is is a key thing. And then really, I think seeing this as a great moment, yes, AI is disrupting so much, but I, I think it's also begging us to take a long, long, hard look at our assessments um, and grapple with, to the extent that they are relevant, grapple with how well they actually do allow students to explore their own identity, to collaborate with others, and to build things that are meaningful for their community. I think it can be done, but I think it's going to take a lot of dialogue and a lot of reflection over every time I hear that phrase, but this is the way it's always been done. And then, you know, kind of completing that What's the end product of that? And who got to decide that? And when we say things are a tradition in school, a tradition for who, I think is, is the question there. I think one of the things that we did this year is we, we, we took a look at our cell phone use policy, something as, as basic as that, and said, let's, let's not do that anymore. Um, and we're seeing that humanness come through. And uh, the other thing that we're thinking about this year is, is our new building, our Center for Creativity and Innovation. Um, and really putting the A in STEAM. What's the function, in your opinion, of that A in STEAM, the science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics, as opposed to sort of what, what we were thinking about maybe 10 years ago, which was STEM? And where have you seen it work really well? And can you give us some examples of, of tech in schools that has bolstered and aided those human connections using STEAM? I love this question. And it's one that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, you know, I also get to interview a lot of folks when I, you know, I host three different podcasts. And the thing that really has been just on my back burner is the number of folks who I speak to who are experts in their field, who are very successful in their field. And, you know, when I ask them, what would you attribute that to? There's often this common refrain of, well, you know, I found a bridge between these subjects, sort of, you know, like what's referred to as interdisciplinary thinking. This is what I was able to apply to my field. Um, you know, as way of an example of that, Jen Christensen is a senior science communicator, editor at Scientific American. A while back, I interviewed her for the Shifting Schools podcast, and she was talking about why it is that, you know, a lot of science gets misinterpreted by the broader public, almost like the pretense of like, public, you won't understand this. You're not a scientist. How dare you try to comprehend this? Um, and really grappling with, especially in light of the pandemic, we need folks to understand science. Um, and so we can't just be doing the science. We also have to you know, really be thinking about the communication and this digital landscape that we live and learn in where our attention span is limited. How is it that we can get folks interested in this? Um, so I think that A in STEAM is realizing that everything is naturally interdisciplinary. I think it's schools that sometimes force this 
false notion that like this isn't a silo over here, that's separate over there. Um, it does work as as the bridge. And art for me has always been something that it's really transformative art if it's asking a great question, right? So I think whatever you are doing in your STEM fields, what's the question that students are grappling with? So a, a few examples of how I think I've I've seen this work really well. Years ago, I worked at United World College Southeast Asia, um, and I was collaborating with a global politics teacher who was talking about, she was also really into podcasts. Her students were talking about the news shows that they listened to, and they were having that casual dialogue around like, well, we could create a really good one for our community. And she said, I want to make this happen. I don't know how to do the tech aspect. Can you help me? We really want this to be student-driven, and we want it to be for the community, um, and that got started in 2018. It's called Ears of East. I'll share the link with you. It's continued. And those students create podcasts that really focus on what's happening in the world that they're passionate about. And then they also create podcasts for school events, um, which I think is really cool. Um, they had some events where students were literally going on a walk, listening to a show that their peers had created. Um, another example that I think is really great out of um, Berlin, there's a teacher named Christina Pernell Gutza. She supervises a student social justice committee and they create zines. And I, I kind of love that idea of, of digital zines coming back into fashion again. And, and they do that to help educate the community about issues that are important to them. So uh, again, I think it's that merging of lots of different fields, bringing the tech piece in, in a way that it's not just tech for the flash or the flare, you know, the shiny device, but it's, I want to build something for my community because I care about them. And this is a great way for me to do that. Um, and of course, there's the authentic audience piece there too. I love the lens that you're coming at, at that with. I have a, a couple of different sort of segues that I can take from what you've said and because uh, it is interdisciplinary. For, for me, that arts piece, the visual arts, the theatre arts, the musical arts, and sort of all those peripheral things that we don't often think about as arts, but really are artistic, they are creative. They're fail-forward um, places. They're places where kids can build uh, their confidence, their self-esteem. They can take risks in a safe environment. They can collaborate with other people. They're very, very human. And then we look at science. We look at math. And they're huge problem-solving dif disciplines that need a fail-forward mentality. And I think a lot of kids struggle in math because they think they should know it the first time they look at the math and they get that anxiousness. And if they were in the arts, then perhaps they would have more of a fail forward attitude. Perhaps they would have uh, more of a, a sort of problem solving. It's OK to get it wrong. Let's work as a team to try and figure this out um, uh, attitude. So, you know, when I, I heard recently parents say to me, you know, why are they doing more arts? You know, this seems to be really important to you. Why is it important to you? My kids can do arts and crafts at home. And I thought we, we need to do such a better job of explaining why that's important. We've read, uh, you know, speaking of, of parents, we've read uh, about the Silicon Tech leaders who don't let their children be connected to devices. They don't let them be connected to devices at all, never mind constantly, because they've designed it. They know they designed it to be a drug. Um, what do you think about schools going uh, zero or low tech until a certain age? And what will be the benefits or the drawbacks as you see them? Yeah, I mean, I think there is an equity issue to that. And, you know, I, I, I think your your point about, you know, some of the, the tech founder billionaires, their parenting styles, I think the average parent probably has about as much in common with the parenting style of a Bill Gates 
as I do with like a gold medal Olympian athlete in terms of like our workout regimes, right? If I'm a billionaire, um, you know, the reality is I can probably afford to have lots of different separate tutors to entertain my child, you know, so I think there, there is that piece. There are real guidelines out there in terms of, you know, how much screen time for early ages. And I am, I am not an early years expert. So I think there, there's a separate piece when we're talking about like babies and toddlers. But I do think that as students are getting older, um, I think especially with what we're seeing right now with generative AI, I really do think that uh, some of the schools that have selected to ban that, it's that's a huge equity issue in terms of students that are going to be able to understand AI harms, AI bias, because they're familiar with the tools, and then students that have been left out of it. Um, you know, it reminds me of approximately a decade ago when some schools and some educators were doing more to talk about what is social media? How does it operate? What are some of its functions? What are some of the opportunities? What are some of the things to be concerned about? Um, I think that student comes through and has a much better, you know, aptitude for grappling with the technology. I am not, though, saying that I'm an advocate of like all tech all the time. Um, you know, I read all of my books as paper and hardback copies. You know, that's that's a divide that I have for me. I don't have to be reading electronically. Um, so I think if we're intentional with the tech, that's very different than, ooh, I can make a kahoot and that seems fun. Let me just do everything through a kahoot. And we've seen this with all forms of technology, going back to the radio. When the, when the radio was first invented, there were a lot of people having the same sort of like, kids are staying up too late listening to the radio. So technology is often, I think, an, an easy thing to point to and say, this is what's ruining everything about society. Um, you know, I would point folks to one of my favorite researchers around this. She heads the Digital Mental Health Group out of Cambridge, and her name is Dr. Amy Orban. She does really great research, and she's really shaped my thinking around screen time as not an effective phrase because not all screen time is created equally, right? Like right now, I'm having an interview with you. We're having a great discussion. That's very different to me just like mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. Um, and the the analogy that she she gives about helping parents think about the ways in which they want to approach social media and devices with their children is like going to the ocean. The ocean is also a very dangerous place for kids. However, you know, we have swimming lessons, we have paddling pools, we have lifeguards. You know, the ocean can also be a very meaningful experience. So a lot of her work advocates for how can we approach this in a way in which like there are paddling pools or there are lifeguards. Um, and she is a big advocate for, you know, it's interesting you said some of the big tech giants don't give these devices to their kids. And I, you know, I wish that there was more of a push for organizations like Meta to be more transparent with their data. Um, they do every once in a while, depending on the country you're in, you may have noticed that Instagram removed the like counts. So they said they were going to experiment with that with certain age groups. They did that experiment, but they haven't actually shared. What do we learn from that? And if they shared that, I do think some of the other social media platforms could take it and implement it. So it's a very, very long answer, but um, I don't think the answer is like an all or nothing. I think like all complex problems, it's nuanced and it's thinking about what is the intention with the technology? Is it connection, creativity, really enhancing learning, or is it, ooh, this is going to look kind of snazzy and this is expensive?
because I, I have seen schools fall into that trap of this looks really sophisticated what we're doing because it's a brand new, you know, silver chrome device. That was a very long answer. Thanks for still being here. <laughs> no, it's great. Thank you. Uh, the Global Online Academy, as you know, Goa is uh, is headed up by head of school. It's a NIASC, New England uh, Schools and Colleges Association accredited school now, and they offer online courses. They offer 62 courses for high school students. And so we partnered with them this year. It's it's offered the opportunities, which I heard a decade ago, which are to collaborate with students that aren't in our building from around the world, to collaborate with different teachers and to study um, things that her, we don't have the expertise here on our staff uh, to uh, enable them to study everything from medical ethics 101 to cryptocurrency uh, and Japanese. This is augmenting our learning and giving access to classes they can't take here, but um, uh, from a local to a global level of learning, how can technology be harnessed to ensure growth in the right way, uh, like Goa is doing? Well, I think what you're talking about also is a school, you know, you're you're saying we have this partnership, we're looking to augment. It's also that, hey, we're, we're going to try something different because not every school is doing that. So I would love to see more schools saying, we're going to test this out. And I think you're going to find like some of your students will do really well with it. Others might not, but it's it's an experiment, right? It is trying to break the mold a little bit. Um, and I, I do think technology has that, you know, momentum to let us have those broader connections to let students pursue passions. And then I'm really excited to hear you bring up the local too, because, you know, we've had this real decline in local news. Um, and I, I kind of you know, I, I do a lot of work with schools around media literacy, and I often advocate for building partnerships between your school, local journalists, local libraries, um, you know, getting that partnership. And again, you know, mentioning it for the 10th time with the rise of AI, I think having students immerse themselves in more of those local based conversations, like this is the stuff that AI cannot do, right, um, is go hyper local, hyper contextual. So having students be involved in that, um, I'm thinking of StoryCorps. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They've got a great model, you know, just making space for folks to like create and share a story. I think that has real power in schools too. And then I think also having students connect with either local or global nonprofits and find out how did you create that nonprofit? Um, you know, because we do have service learning in schools and, you know, you talk about STEAM and interdisciplinary thinking, most nonprofits need all of those elements too. Um, there's a really great one out there called uh, Women in Games International. It's a nonprofit organization that helps folks get into the gaming industry, which is the fastest growing industry in the world. And um, sometimes when I talk about gaming and esports, people think like, what do you mean every student's going to be a professional gamer? No. There are accountants that specify in gaming. There's chiropractors that specify in gaming. And it's a really interesting nonprofit that has all different programs. It has a mentorship model. Um, so I think schools and students also have a lot to learn from the nonprofit world as well. So that could be another interesting bridge. But all of these examples, it means you've got to be willing to say as a school, we're going to do something different. And that is often a very difficult thing for a school to be willing to say. 
So in that thread of encouraging mentors, folks from outside school, those partnerships with uh, with folks from the outside, one of the things that we've we've started is an internship program in the last um, uh, in the last year, and experiential learning um, incorporates that idea of partnering with with real world individuals who are failing forward right now in real time, who can share, who can bring in our kids to the world of of education, higher education. So you mentioned um, the idea of partnering with local local folks in terms of journalists. Um, We just started an internship program where our kids are going out and working uh, with individuals who are affiliated with our school at the moment. Um, and expanding that partnership uh, to other industries, to higher education, is certainly part of our vision for learning and experiential learning in particular. When it comes to encouraging mentors or folks from outside schools, who inspires you? And have you used anything else or seen anything else in schools that came from an entirely different context or that harnessed technology for those new connections? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So I'll take the second part first. Many, many years ago, I worked at a school that was very new, and I find sometimes new schools can be a little more agile, uh, and, and they had this big initiative to help students. This was when the um, iTunes iBook store and iBook author was sort of brand new, and the then head of school really had a, a big vision for helping students see themselves as authors um, and using technology to really be thinking like, what is the book that I want to write? If I'm nine years old, I can do this. If I'm 16 years old, I can do this. And it was sort of, you know, a very ambitious goal to make sure that students not only had the tools to publish, but they were given the support to kind of think about, well, what is the story or what is the research that I want to do? And I think, again, it was kind of that focusing back on giving you the time to focus on what's important to you and also making sure that students felt really supported by each other. Um, So there was often a lot of sharing around like, well, this is what I think I'm going to work on. Oh, do you know that person also there is, is doing that research? Um, And it's, it's really interesting because I had a student who published a book about merging his passion for technology and golf. Um, That book got published. He used it for his IB MYP personal project. His personal project grade was not good. The real world result is that he had a number of actual, um, you know, champion golfers reach out to him to say, hey, you want to collaborate on a future book? And it really left an impact on me in terms of, huh, in the world of academia, they kind of gave you the thumbs down. But in terms of like your day-to-day life and the conversations that he got to have with professional golfers after that, huge win. So that that relevancy piece was huge. Somebody that inspires me, and this is why I'm an advocate for schools, having their own podcast, helping students understand how to podcast is because it gives you the opportunity to reach out to people you want to learn from and ask them a little bit about like what makes them tick. Um, how they do what they do. So Swapna Krishna is a journalist and a science communicator. She actually has her own column in Wired magazine on gaming. And we talked about, how did you do that? And she was she's saying, you know, I'm not interested in like shooter games or strategy games. I'm interested in the games that the, the genre is kind of called cozy gaming. It's like gaming for relaxation. Um, and she's like, I hustled. I learned a lot about it. I pitched them. And then finally they said, yes. Uh, she's also a great example of that interdisciplinary thinking. So she's had a book come out this past year, which merges again her passion for Star Trek. Uh, she loves Star Trek. She loves science. 
She loves space. So she has her own YouTube channel through PBS that's all about outer space and meditation. So she wrote this book about how stargazing can not only help us learn more about space and science, but also can be very good for us. Um, so uh, again, I've interviewed her a handful of times. She's very generous about sharing the process. And she's a great model for students in terms of, this is my passion. Here's what I do to be strategic and get published in, in a bunch of different spaces and be seen as you know really a recognizable expert. So I think that's what we want to help students do is, what are you so interested in? that you would dedicate so many hours to. And we're going to help facilitate that process so that you can create, you can collaborate, um, and you can do something with your interest and hopefully build some bridges between that interest and a few other ones. That's a wonderful way to part the MYP personal project. And as you know, we are becoming, uh, we're an MYP candidate school. And so that's a growth, uh, there's a journey that we're on as a school at the moment. So knowing that that's, that's in the future for our students is, is is really important. It's lovely to hear you speak that way about an individual student's experience. Speaking of that connection, disconnection issue, how do you disconnect? I think we'll obviously talk about your dog here. Yeah, this is where if you have a dog, you have to walk the dog. I listen to a lot of podcasts and people will often comment like, how do you listen to so many shows? Um, and the reality of that is I don't often have a quiet moment. And I've really grappled with like, Trisha, shouldn't you just have silence in your life sometime? When I, I, when I lived and worked in Switzerland, I had a, a great commute. It was a really long commute. But if you have a really long commute, Switzerland is the country to live in for it. And I would often get through like three different episodes on my way to work. And then one day I was like, I'm not going to listen to anything as I'm walking to the train station. The soundscape of the world, I was like, wow, yikes. I haven't just heard this for a while. So I do try to really check myself with, I love podcasts, but also hearing the world around me is important. Um, so my dog walks are kind of that sacred time when I do disconnect um, but I will also say uh, a lot of it, too, is like the home rules, right? Like my wife is also very adamant. There's no phones in the bedroom. It is not the first thing that we open up in the morning. And I think that can be a really difficult habit. But I would say that being something that is important as a family makes it a lot easier. We have a, a resource that I've created through Shifting Schools. The acronym is BALANCE, and it's all experiments. Because the thing is, I think there is like tech creep when we are forming a habit. So I think it's important, your relationship with your technology, every once in a while, mix it up. Um, so the free resource has a whole bunch of different experiments. Everything from move your apps around on your phone so that you don't automatically go to it. And notice that like a little bit of friction, like, oh, I'm going for this app. Oh, it's not where I thought it was. You know what, actually, I don't even need to open that up. Um, and I would say that was one of the most interesting projects I've ever done with a student group is we create a little mini series project where they had a huge menu of micro tech experiments to tinker with. And then they were documenting how they felt over time. Uh, one of the experiments was just like a total screen-free lunch for a week. That's all they had to commit to. Um, because I think the thing is like, you know, for you and I, we can remember that era before we were always connected, right? Like I, and we know what that feels like actually to like have that quiet bubble or that solitary moment. But the younger generation 
literally does not know. They don't know what that feels like. Um, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. So yeah, I think having some experiments to see, like, is this a habit I want to keep or I want to change is really, really an important one. And then I think just paying attention to the tech that you use, how do you feel when you're using it? Uh, Melissa Ryan is a mis- and disinformation expert who I spoke to, and her advice is before you go online on a certain app, like create a shopping list. Here's what I'm going online for. And that's it. And it's like, you know, if I go to the grocery store without a shopping list, yes, I come home with a lot of stuff that I did not need. Sounds like my trips to Ikea. When you're talking about walking to the train station and, and turning the podcasts off, turning the music off and listening to the sounds of the world. I think there's an intentionality that we need to have as schools um, in terms of valuing that, valuing that with our parents, valuing that with our kids and saying, this is important. This is important learning. It's, a, it's about learning about self. It's about le learning about the world around you. It's about knowing that you are much smaller than the world around you, which is actually makes you less anxious, I think, um, than sort of the self-focus, the in, inner self. So as we build our outdoor learning program, um, how can we help our kids learn um, when they've had enough of screens? I think this is the one where, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a spicy answer, but as adults, we have to realize that we're setting an example, right? All the time. And I, I know lots of us are always talking about, you know, screen time and kids. And I think there's a real conversation to be had about adults and screens. You know, I, I've, with my dog walks, we usually, I'm walking through the park at the same time. A lot of parents are bringing their children to school. Um, and it's a beautiful park. I live in Ottawa now. We've got a super intense winter. So there are some parents who will be bringing their, their child to the school area. Like their kid is on a sled and it is so adorable. Um, and I, I'm no, I know I'm going to sound like a, a horrible judgmental person, but last winter, there was a parent bringing their child through the snow on the sled. It was magical. And again, I do that same walk every morning. And again and again and again, the child on the sled was like immersed in the magic around them. The parent was just dragging the sled, looking at the screen. That is the reality. Like I, you know, I felt very judgmental like day after day of seeing this. And there was a part of me that wanted to just sort of say like, look at your child. They are like loving this winter morning, but that is the reality, right? Like, you know, some folks feel like they cannot disconnect because they work for someone or they work as part of an organization where they don't have that. I mean, it's great to see some countries and some cities do that right to disconnect law. It's kind of sad to me that we need a law for that. Um, but I, I do think as adults, we are setting an example and we have an opportunity to be that example. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that I have gotten this perfectly. Preaching to a teenager about the relationship they should have with technology has far less value than showing them and talking about, you know, I, I mentioned like little micro experiments that you can test out like in over the summer, uh, my wife and I also for a few weeks, we tried out you know, and again, we, we could not make this happen every day. Right. But we had a period of time where we said, we are not going to turn our phones on for the first two hours of the day, just to see what that feels like. And it was amazing. It was great. I mentioned Dr. Amy Ogden earlier, and she's been really good about saying a lot of the mental health studies that have come out around social media and teens, uh, some of them are not necessarily 
rigorous scientifically, but she says it's also really hard to separate. Is it I'm engaging more with social media because I'm having some mental health issues? Is it not that it's going the opposite way, but um, what is the relationship there? And, and again, she's a real advocate for social media platforms sharing more of their data. Um, if we had more transparency, we could get to that. But I mean, I certainly as an adult have been guilty of, oh, I'm feeling anxious. What can I do? Pick up my phone and scroll. You know, your question about more outdoor play, gosh, I think adults need to get out of the way of kids and let them have their own unstructured play. Uh, something that really opened my eyes to this, there's a great book called The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy. It was a great joy to interview her for the Shifting Schools podcast. And she talks all about how important failure is, right? They do not need adults constantly supervising them. And I'm not really sure how we got to that place of feeling like we always need to be the ones directing kids. Um, there's there's so much research around play and how powerful it is. And I, I feel like we've gotten in the way of that and we need to stop doing that. You know, so much of what you're sharing is it really hits to our vision for learning, for experiential learning and that fail forward attitude. Um, I'm a huge proponent for that, uh, that, that you can't learn until you've figured out what doesn't work. Um, there might be 20 ways to do something and we want our kids to go out into the world and make it a better place in their own lives and the lives of other people. Then we're going to have to let them problem solve Maybe that's not just as an individual, but as a team. So there's this uh, team failure as well, um, because it's not really failure. It's probably the wrong word. Uh, it's probably the wrong phrase to say fail forward. Um, it's about curiosity. And I think you are a wonderful model of curiosity. The amount of reading and listening that you do and researching that you do and the connections that you make uh, are absolutely wonderful. They're about community. They're about community learning. Um, and I've really, really super enjoyed talking to you today, Trisha. Oh, I've, I really appreciate your thoughtful questions. And I really look forward to seeing the rest of what you do, not just with your school. You know, it was great to get like a little bit of a of a preview of the values that are so important to you as a school leader. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing to to follow this show, too. So thank you so much for inviting me on. I really hope that our paths cross physically or technologically soon. Relationships and how we leverage them in schools so that students can benefit from them now in higher education in the world of work is crucial to a school's success. Ensuring that young people have authentic experiences and feel connected to their school community of peers and teachers, local industry, higher education and the world around them is foundational to our success. Technology can enhance or hinder learning and an imperative for us is embracing that to promote self-esteem, joy, curiosity and aspiration in young people. Follow the link in our podcast to access the reading and resources Trisha mentioned in our chat today and I'll be with you in episode three.